Hey guys, I'm here recording some ads without Brian this week. He was at Because of the Times. Uh, I'm over in Maryland right now. We just didn't have time to get together and record some ads for this week. But here I am doing it without him. This week's episode is brought to you by the DriftedDrumCompany.com. Uh, at the Drifted Drum Company, their mission is to bring encouragement through motivation, personal development, and the grace of Jesus Christ. Dr. April Jones has written a book entitled No Mess, No Message. You can pick it up there on the website, put in promo code CRUCIAL, get 10% off your entire purchase, get a free companion journal. Uh, Dr. April Jones is a great person. We met her a few months ago. I'm super excited that she's a part of the Crucial Conversation, such a big sponsor. We appreciate that. Guys, go out and support her. She supports us. That's the DriftedDrumCompany.com, promo code CRUCIAL. As always, Lazari Italian Oven at 2230 South Caraway Road in Jonesboro. Um, known for the best Italian anywhere in Northeast Arkansas, from their soups and salads to the bread to the entrees. The cheesecake is to die for. Guys, go by and check out Lazari Italian Oven at 2230 South Caraway Road in Jonesboro. Or if you don't have time, they deliver at Jonesboro Bite Squad, Bite to Go, whatever you need them to do, 870-931-4700. Also, our friend Dustin Thomas with Live Oak Realty. Guys, this guy is the real deal. He's got a team of professionals that's there to help save you time and money. You can go to listwithliveoak.com or 870-520-2522. Rental houses, selling, buying, he does it all. Guys, go check out Dustin at 870-520-2522. Also, our last sponsor for the week, Anderson Heat and Air. This guy is also the real deal. We go to church with Brother Anderson, such a great guy. Uh, he takes care of you any way he can. Uh, on the spot, he's honest. He's not going there to try to rip your head off with the pricing. He'll take care of you. Call him at 870-935-1155. This week on the podcast, we had Reverend Kenneth Carpenter from Maryville, Tennessee. Um, a lot of you know him, his... Um, preaching video on hell has went viral multiple times on all social media platforms uh brian and i counted it as an honor to sit down and speak with him um about not just leadership or pastoring or anything like that but the importance of still talking about eternity guys if this doesn't stir you I don't know if anything the Crucial Conversation offers can. Guys, enjoy this conversation with Reverend Kenneth Carpenter. Uh, and my prayer last night is God help me to be able to identify the hungry. Help me to be able to see the hungry. The hungry is not always coming in with tears streaming down their face. They're not, they're not always visibly moved. God help me to identify the hungry. Um, I am believing that God is going to give us a move of God among uh, good-hearted people that are full, I call it this, they are full of sincerity, but they are not full of truth. And I want God to help me to reach those people that are full of sincerity, but not full of truth. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast.
So this morning, Brian and I are sitting down with Brother Carpenter in Maryville, Tennessee, and we are so thankful to have you. You're a very busy man, general superintendent of the ALJC, pastoring an awesome, beautiful place here in Maryville. Um, outgrew your last building. You got a lot of things going on, but you took time to sit down with Brian and I. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you, uh, Brother Tony. I, I, it's an honor uh, to be given this tremendous opportunity this morning and uh, to share and talk about uh, what God is doing in all of our lives. Well, we are super excited to have you. And let me tell you why I'm personally excited to have you. Uh, about a month and a half ago, my wife said, here's a video you have to watch. And when she says that, there's about Nine times out of ten, I'm not interested in these huge, big things that she's got for me to read or watch. But it, it, is there anything worse than somebody being like, you've got to watch this video, and then you have to sit through it, and you're the whole time you're thinking, how in the world can I get out of that here? That could be some of our podcast episodes, That's, too. Yeah, that could be. But she sent me a video of you preaching. It was just a little clip, but mm-hmm. a later date I found out it was a sermon entitled The Place Called Hell. Yes, sir. And you spoke about how your child can go in these different directions and places. And uh, I have a little girl of my own, mm-hmm. and it convicted me. Mm-hmm. And I'll, the very first thing I want to tell you, Pastor, is thank you so much for having the courage to still preach about things like that, where a lot of times our ministers nowadays tend to shy away from hell because that's not the important thing. Or, right. or ex- excuse me, it's a very important thing. It's not the cool thing to preach right. about anymore. Right. But thank you so much for preaching stuff like that. You're welcome. Especially to um, somebody for me that has children. Right. I can greatly appreciate that. Where does a message like that burden from? You, you know, Brother Tony, um, we live in a day you mentioned um, uh, about being relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of our, our our messages today are 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 developed for a relevant what's relevant for them uh, about problems that they're going through, and all of that is all of that is well and good. But the um, the frame of the church, uh, the absolute frame of the church, is the major doctrines: uh, one God, the plan of salvation, and in heaven or hell. Uh, and, and I believe that those are things that our children need to hear uh, about. We've all, uh, growing up in the church, um, you know, come home from school and mom and dad not be there and, and uh, you know, the house be all alone and, and think, oh, has, has the rapture have happened, you yeah. know. And I think that's missing in, in our generation today. I think, yeah. our, I think our children growing up on the pews, um, quite personally I, I, personally, I believe that they need to hear that there is a place called hell. When do you think it transpired that it was no longer um, the thing to preach about? Because I remember even when I was growing up, I thought the coming of the Lord was tomorrow. Right. And, you know, you, we don't really hear that anymore. Mm-hmm. When do you think that kind of changed, and why do you think it changed? Uh, Brother Tony, when we stopped emphasizing the fear of the Lord, uh, we don't hear a lot of messages preached anymore about the fear of the Lord and we know that how important that is that the uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge um, the fear of the Lord in such a way and, and of course not necessarily talking about fearing him uh, as far as he's obviously going to hurt me but fearing him in a respectful way that um, it's, it's like respecting electricity 
um, it only takes one time to be shocked to understand. You, you have to respect. So I think the, when the fear of the Lord, uh, when, when, when that began to, uh, we begin to hear less messages about just fearing the Lord. Uh, basic respect, uh, the respect for the things of God. Um, I, I believe it was in that, that era because the fear of the Lord always produces action. Sure. You can never, you can never fear the Lord and not have actions. It's kind of like having faith but not having works. Right. If you fear the Lord, there will be actions to follow. And you just said you you brought it to where electricity, where you get shocked. It only takes you one time. Mm-hmm. Well, it also only takes one time without being without electricity that mm. you don't realize how much you love it until it's not. <laughs> That's there. a good point. And I feel like I don't respect the the conversation of eternity without speaking about it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important that we do continue to speak about that. And I do recommend to all of our listeners on the conversation to to go to YouTube and you can find that sermon, A Place Called Hell. Um, Brian, I'm, it's, I'm, sure it's we'll, I'm sure we'll link to it uh, yeah, sure. in the lead up to this. And, and so it'll be on our page uh, by the time our listeners are listening to this. Um, another thing, kind of just piggybacking on this conversation, um, when how our faith and our fear of God should motivate our actions. Um, I was listening to a preacher this week when they talked about how we live like atheists when it comes to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And how if we really believed that the Bible really was the Word of God, we would read it more. If we were really convinced. Mm-hmm. True. But, but most Christians that are out there have the same relationship with the book as your general atheist who doesn't believe that it has any kind of intrinsic value within it. Um, and so, I mean, I certainly believe that what we're talking about is very relevant Absolutely. because what we truly believe should be fleshed out yes. in the way that we live. Yes. You, you know, uh, Brian, uh, we're told that, that at, the, at the very end, there's two books on Judgment Day that um, one is the book, um, it is singular, is the book of life. And the other uh, books are plural, and it's the 66 books of the Bible. And the dead were judged out of the books, plural, and uh, according to their works, okay? Mm-hmm. According, to, not necessarily their belief, but their works. And uh, if their names were not found in the book. So if, if we can just keep people focused and balanced, I, I believe there's a balance because uh, the Sunday evening that I preached on a place called hell, I had balanced that on Sunday morning by preaching on a place called heaven, okay? And um, when, you, when you can balance the fear of the Lord with the reward of the Lord, I believe that, that, that produces a beautiful uh, walk with God. And I think that people uh, of our generation, the selfie generation, the Facebook generation, <laughs> yes. the Twitter generation, um, that, that video went viral. Mm-hmm. That little—it's uh, mm-hmm. about a three-minute clip right. of of you preaching that it went viral on mm-hmm. Facebook, and I think that it might be because it was relevant, or it's a shock that they would hear a preacher talk like that. Wow, you wow. know, because our generation, Brian and I's generation, we we don't we don't get that, and mm-hmm. it's something that there's still a hunger out there. Yeah, to hear. there's still yes, a hunger there is. To hear that. Yeah, there is for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, now that we've kind of got 
the that heaviness out of my heart that I was so excited yeah, to talk yeah, about. Yes, sir. So let me ask one oh, thing before ahead. we transition, because sure. uh, you kind of mentioned it. I really want to. I'm interested to hear your take on this, Pastor Carpenter. Whenever you preach messages like you preached about a place called hell, um, these really convicting, heavy messages. What do you? Uh, approach those messages different than you would a message more on mercy like is your are you do you spend a little extra time in prayer with more what i would call heavier messages or is it just kind of all a word from god and it's all kind of treated the same you, you know uh, brother brian uh, every message whether it's a message on mercy a message on um, praise shout um, or a message on tithing or a message on holiness, uh, outward holiness. The main ingredient of that of that message must be love. Sure, it's it, it, it must be love. So, um, hmm. I I believe that every message, whether it's one of telling women that uh, their uh, uncut hair is a glory to God, Amen. Okay, or if you will. Um, give God a shout; He will He will bless you. Whether whether holiness or that, it, it all has to be based on love. And, and um, I, 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 number one, I love this local congregation um, with, with all my heart. I love um, the uh, the people of God in in general. I, I love the apostolic people. Uh, I evangelized for several years. I, I know some evangelists that have horror horror stories of you, you know not being paid correctly and being put in a basement somewhere you know all that I understand it I, I don't know if if that happened to me and I didn't recognize it but it was just God's people have just been so good to me yeah. and I, I believe that in return that if I could live my life out to get in touch with God and stay in touch with God and feed God pe- God's people. Um, that uh, that was the one thing that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter said, sure. And all three times Jesus responded by, feed my sheep. Yeah. So a minister proves his love for God by feeding God's sheep. That's incredible. Um, I want to ask you to be very um, open with us on this next question. Uh, when God does lay a message about hell on your heart like he did and heaven on your heart, um, yeah, it's a lot easier to preach that heaven message on Sunday morning. Oh, yes. On, on that Sunday night, do you, did you, ever, do you ever struggle with something God lays on your I heart? I do. How do you do. overcome stuff like that? I do. You, you know, I, I, actually struggle, I, I actually struggle before I preach it. I struggle during the actual delivery. But the main struggle is afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lay at bed. You, you lay in bed at night. You know I'm. You know I'm always serious. I'm always. You know I'm always uh, telling the people we need to do this. We need to do that. But again, how I overcome it is. Um, I guess when something like this goes viral, it's it, it blew my mind. People, yeah. uh, it, people begin to call me um, ministers um, from. Uh, uh, the United Pentecostal Church began to 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 text me and and um, let me know who they were and and uh, thank you for preaching that. So yeah. um, I I just how I overcome it is just simply it's the need the sure. need. Yeah. Um, 
So I want to ask you a little bit about how you got to this church. We were talking a little yeah. bit um, about your new seating capacity because mm-hmm. you've you completely just blew out the seams of your old building. Yes, but. Before you got here, even before you got to what you call the church on the hill, right? Yes, yes um, Tell us your story about how you even got involved in the apostolic movement. Take us back to the beginning. Well, my mother, um, in the um, probably it was around 1964, 1965, I was um, uh, five years old. My mother was a Sunday school teacher in the Baptist church, and uh, the our pastor, Reverend Billy McCool, had a radio program called The Voice of Pentecost. came on at 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoons. As a matter of fact, um, uh, over 50 years later, it still comes on at 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoons. Um, and uh, my mother was suffering from um, tremendous asthma attacks. Um, and she was listening to Reverend McCool, and he, he said his God was still a healer. And, of course, our Baptist minister had told my mother that, that uh, God only healed in certain situations. So my mother contacted Reverend McCool, and he agreed to come to our home. Just before he got to our home, my mother fell on the floor with a, an asthma attack. And I remember as a little boy, my first exposure to Pentecost was um, a man with an unusual name, McCool, coming into our home and kneeling down over my mother. How old were you? I was about five. Kneeling down over my mother and praying, and my mother was instantly healed and has never suffered uh, um, from asthma again. She's 84 years old. And uh, from that, we started going to church. My mother got in church. Um, Sad, my mother mother got out a few years later, uh, and then about 15 years old, my mother uh, enrolled my brother and I in the Christian school, the Apostolic Christian School. And it was there about midway through the school year in a uh, chapel service that God got a hold of my heart. I repented and was baptized, felt the Holy Ghost, and um, shortly thereafter felt a call to preach, graduated from high school, and um, began to evangelize. And then, uh, would you like me to go in all yes, into the, yeah, into the church here? Yeah. Uh, I evangelized for several years. And then in Didn't you preach a revival the week of your wedding? I like, did. Uh-oh. We, Brian does his research. <laughs> well, you do. You do. Well, we had, uh, Brian, we had just taken the church here. Um, June the 3rd, 1984, um, I was elected pastor. And July the 20th, just a little over a month later, uh, my wife and I got married. Um, and uh, uh, the week before our, our wedding, in a small home missions church, and you can relate to this, uh, we had like six people receive the Holy Ghost. I mean, in a in a in a small home missions church, it's running thirty. That's you know that's that that's was survival. just that was major. And what was really something, my mother in law uh, received the whole. Or I guess she would have been my future mother in law uh, at that point. Received the Holy Ghost. It was like the Sunday before our wedding on Friday. So um, it's good when your mother-in-law has the Holy Ghost. It, it is, <laughs> and keeps it. <laughs> uh, it's better when you're with your mother-in-law and you keep yours. Oh, that's the truth. That's the truth. I got I got a great mother-in-law, but but um, we got married on Friday night. We uh, um, we both agreed that we would stay Sunday and then leave for our honeymoon in Myrtle Beach on Monday. Mm-hmm. 
And so we stayed Sunday. We got married on Friday night. We came back to Maryville, preached Sunday morning, Sunday night. We was going to get up Monday morning and head to Myrtle Beach. Uh, a, man in our, a man that attended church fell out of a tree, and they thought he broke his back. We stayed at the emergency room all day long, decided we'd get up on Tuesday evening, and we would go to Myrtle Beach. Uh, a minister friend of ours called us and asked if you would stop by on Tuesday night and uh, preach for us our Bible study. And It's on the way to Myrtle Beach. It's 150 miles from Myrtle Beach. Uh, if you'll stop by and preach for us, um, I, I give you a, a, an offering, and we'd like to see your wife. And uh, yeah. And so I told my wife, I said, you know, we obviously needed, I'm sorry to confess, we obviously needed money, you know. Yeah. Um, so we stayed on Tuesday night. It was unbelievable. The service revival broke out, and um, the pastor came around at the end of the service, and he said, we haven't had a move of God like this in a long time. said, is there any way you could stay tomorrow night? Just just one more night. So I agreed. My we, we both agreed, and so we stayed Wednesday night. Same thing happened Wednesday night. Bottom line, end of the story, we preached Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, got in the car, and drove back to Maryville. And uh, I've often said we've been on a honeymoon ever since. You there know? you go. But I want to ask you a question you. regarding that. Um, while we were setting up, you said that you don't have many hobbies. Um, you don't golf. You don't hunt. Um, first of all, that's unlike any other preacher. But I anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, warped. <laughs> but uh, you did say something that did spark my attention. And with Brian bringing that question up, I want to ask. Um, you said that you love your wife. Oh, yes. That's that's one of your biggest hobbies. You love your wife. Yes. Um, can you speak to our younger listeners right now about the importance of having the right companion with you? Because yes. um, I have no ma- doubt in my mind that if that wasn't the right companion that God ordained for you, it would have been, uh, no, we're going to Myrtle Beach, and you never know what would have happened. Right. You know? right. So what's the importance of having your million-dollar penny with you? <laughs> well, uh, Brother Tony— I believe the issue that we have today, too many people get married with the hopes of their mate changing. You know, you know. I know that he has this flaw. They're dating, they're engaged, and counseling goes something like this. I know he has this flaw, but, you know, or she has this flaw. I believe it's very important, if I could speak to the youth, that you look for the right things in your mate before your emotions and your heart gets in control because God put your brain above your heart natural heart for a reason you know he wants your thinking to be above your emotions and if they can look for the right things you know faithfulness and all of those things and and really go into marriage go into marriage with the understanding of 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 working for God and and being absolutely immersed in uh, going to do something going to do something for God one of the toughest uh, brother um, Tony one of the toughest questions I ever asked my pastor was when I began to date Penny and um, I, I, I really began to fall in love with her and I knew that you know I knew that man I, I can't go through the day without thinking about her. Uh, I'm miserable when I leave town to go evangelize. And I went to him, and I was going to ask him a question that, that um, I knew may, may change everything. And uh, 
I assured our pastor that what he would tell me would never be spoken. It would be held in the strictest of confidence. But is there any reason that I should not marry and pursue this relationship? And uh, he uh, he gave me, you know, the blessings, and he told me what a great young lady. Uh, even I, I guess one of the things that, that really made me um, be more assured of our relationship, she was a new convert. Um, she, she got in church at 15 years old. Um, she was a new convert. Um, shortly after she got the Holy Ghost, um, she, um, uh, I think maybe a week later, she she put a pair of pants on to go to the lake, and she said, immediately, God, she said, immediately, there was something came over me that I knew it was wrong. She didn't, she had never heard anyone speak against it. She knew the apostolic ladies wore dresses, but she just, she didn't know why. Yeah. And so she got in, she was a star basketball player in public school, and um, she goes in and tells the coach, that um, you know she could she and this wasn't anything her pastor was telling it wasn't a church standard it wasn't it was anything a personal condition. it was right you know yeah. she goes in and tells the coach she was a star basketball player here in town in, in the, the high school and um, she said I'm not going to play ball anymore I, I I'm not going to dress out that way any any longer and um, when my pastor told me he said the other day I, I came through the um, the cafeteria and said. Penny was sitting there with two young ladies that had been raised up in the church. Their families were generations deep in the church. And she was teaching them about holiness. She was teaching them why she would do the things. Mm. And so that's really when I knew that I had truly stumbled upon the million-dollar penny. That blows my mind that we're talking about this. Uh, Well, that you actually just kind of talked about that because... On the way over here, we had a little bit of a drive on the way over this morning, and we had a good conversation in the car, Brian, where we were talking about how um, I was I was born and raised in a pastor's home, mm. and uh, my dad was at the time was the assistant pastor, and I lived and breathed church work, uh, everything from yard work to dishes to peanut brittle. God knows, <laughs> apostolics and peanut brittle, but we did everything because. Um, that's what my life revolved around was the ministry of the church. And um, I was never explained why we did certain things, mm-hmm. but out of submission, I would do them. Absolutely. And I, I told Brian that we now live in the generation, I like to call it the generation Y. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to know why we do things mm-hmm. because the days of submissions almost over like you have to explain to me why i'm doing Mm -hmm. this and we're no longer really a part of that anymore because we we have to develop and pour into and it's very important that we do that so we don't lose that generation why it's true um so what would you recommend uh as a pastor to do to the younger generation that we can do Mm -hmm. to the ones coming up behind us when it comes to stuff like that you know again brother tony i go back to love I go back, love them enough to tell them, you know, love them enough and reassure that generation that we love them. We're not just gotten old and these are old uh, uh, Walton Mountains and um, uh, Mayberry uh, things that we do, you know. Tradition. Tradition, you know. Um, It's interesting, but the word, um, and I think we've hit on a few key things in our interview, 
the word submission, you know, is is um, someone said um, uh, someone said that submission begins where agreement ends. So you really don't know if you're going to submit to someone until you don't agree with them. And it's when you don't agree that you realize that you have placed them in a, 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 a place in your life of leadership. Um, there are a lot of things my pastor asked me to do that at the time I didn't agree with it. You know, I didn't understand it. Not necessarily maybe, maybe not agree as much as didn't understand. Um, but it's amazing. The scripture teaches, uh, God told Israel that they were, they were to be obedient. And then it said later in the verse, and thy understanding shall come. Isn't it neat how God asked for obedience? And then he said, you'll understand it after, after you've been obedient. Yeah. You know, and I, I I fully believe this a hundred percent. And we were like I said, we were talking in the car. That is a hundred percent fact because I until I got on my own and was like, now it's time for me to understand why. So, for instance, the best example I can give is our pastor um, teaches a blessed life series. Yes, uh, once every year and a half. Uh, yes. That's how he does it. And I always paid my tithe yes. because my dad told me to pay my tithe. <laughs> and he explained to me the importance of yes. it. But it wasn't until I was 27, 26 years old on the second go-through of A Blessed Life that I understand the ramifications of it. Yes, And because I decided to follow that, I understood at a later date. Right. Uh, because I was obedient, like you said, right. that I understood it at a later date. And right. I understand the importance of the first fruits and yes. I understand the importance of giving to God yes um, and I didn't mean to get off on no. giving but um, that's very important and and brother Tony a lot of times there, there's the core of holiness I, and I um, and if there's ever a generation that's open today there's the um, gender identification crisis that's going on you know um, and holiness as far as what young people are needing to buy into today, uh, it's it's a lot like the Godhead. To understand the Godhead, if you'll under if you can get someone to understand the dual nature of Jesus Christ, both God and man, they understand the Godhead. Sure. Okay. If we can get this generation to understand that God made male and female, and that there's roles that they're to play, holiness attaches itself to that, because a woman will dress. Like a woman, a man will dress like a man, um, and and vice versa. So I think when it when when like the second series of the blessed life, when that comes on, it's like, okay, I see now. I, I see why we do what yeah. we do. And it's go ahead, Brian. I was just gonna say it's it's important to not be um, ashamed to not well, understand. They sense that when we when the the congregation senses that, especially uh, youth when we uh, when we either uh, when we either don't teach and preach it or we teach it or preach it intimidated, almost like every other line we're apologizing for this, mm -hmm. you, you know. And 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 they're not going to buy into that. You you're not going to get today's youth to buy in in order to be convincing, ing, mm -hmm. you have to be convinced. Yeah, 
Brian said something that I, I pat him on the back still to this day for it. We as apostolic ministers and while Brian's preaching, he he shouldn't always have to be on the back pedal apologizing for every little yes, thing. Yes, yes. We shouldn't, we shouldn't apologize for the truth. Right, right, right. And another thing that, that is kind of a pet peeve of mine is the, the backhand to the people in the pews that do live it. Uh, in order to to let the saints let the sinners know, well, these saints aren't perfect either, uh-huh. and so I mean it's just like constant, like all these saints that are trying to do their best they can, and sometimes while we're apologizing, we're also saying, but hold on, we we really don't have it right either. Yeah, and and I feel like um, I understand a lot of times why it's in, in place, but at the same time, I, I feel like the, the, we we put an unnecessary <laughs> burden on. Um, trying to make it as palatable as possible rather than just preaching what thus saith the word of the Lord. Yes, that's true. You, you know, Brian, um, I, I believe there's a balance in a, a minister being transparent. Mm-hmm. And I believe sometimes we can... And I think it's a good um, motive to want to... Uh, the, hey, I want to warm up to the congregation. I want the sinner right. to know that I'm with you. But yet, sometimes there's a tipping point of, hey, you know as much as I know, and we're right. all in this together. Well, to me, uh, I don't want a doctor. I don't want a heart doctor coming in that's about to do open heart surgery and looking at me and saying, well, Mr. Carpenter, you know as much about this as I do. I mean, I don't want this guy operating on me. No. Yeah, you, you got know. on call. Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I believe that that's a um, uh, and, and and I think we've had a knee jerk reaction because there has been a lot of times that standards and holiness has been preached. Um, number one, not wise. You know, absolutely. Bottom line is, you come here Easter Sunday morning, mm-hmm. you're not going to hear a series on outward holiness. Okay, it's seed sowing time for me. Mm-hmm. I've got three hundred guests here. Um, I, I'm putting. I'm. I'm. I'm sowing the seed. You know. Um, I think sometimes that they it's been taught uh, not with wisdom, and maybe not the best spirit. And mm-hmm. and certainly, don't preach it out of observation. You know. Uh, and and um, I believe that the Bible says adorning the doctrine, adorning it. In other words. Take the doctrine and adorn it. Uh, uh, it it's, it's not holiness or hell. It's holiness in heaven. You, you know, it's... Uh, so I, I think... Uh, but but uh, uh, back to Brother Tony's question. Today's youth will not buy into if, if we're backpedaling and a little intimidated, always saying... Uh, you know, I hear things like, well, you can have long hair, but if you got a long tongue, well... To me, that's that's two different subjects you need to approach. Yeah, and that's what I was saying right. with my comment about how it's just like, well, then I just don't, I don't understand why we're preaching unnecessary material for what's in the moment. Exactly, exactly. Know the moment. Know the know, mm-hmm. You know, a, a good minister. Number one, know your crowd. Know your audience. You know, um, if it's a Wednesday night Bible study and you look out and and everybody in there has the Holy Ghost. Probably getting up and saying God's going to fill ten people with the Holy Ghost tonight is probably not a good thing to say. Yeah. You know, preach on evangelism. If no one in your church has the Holy Ghost, preach on evangelism. Sure. When they come, then preach on the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So we, Brian and I, have uh, a little group that we're always hanging out with, and 
um, there was this guy that just joined us randomly for some reason randomly one night and he'd been taking Bible studies um, he just had got the Holy Ghost and oh my man. word he was the worst partner to have at the game we were playing <laughs> <laughs> oh man I still had I'm still upset over that game <laughs> well we were uh, he brought up this question that just kind of silenced the game room um, he said I've been taking these Bible study lessons for uh, multiple weeks now um, yeah, I get it. I got to have the Holy Ghost. I got to be baptized. I got to repent of my sins. I understand all of that, and I've done all of that, but what do I do to stay saved? Mm. And I feel like we're missing out as ministers the opportunity to speak on, yeah, you're right. We do have the plan of salvation, but what do we do to make it to heaven? What do we do to keep that refreshed and rejuvenated? And thank God that that guy is still heavily involved in our church. How long has he been with us now? Uh, three years or so. About three years now. But um, I think that we just we have to create so clarity. Yeah, we, we get, have got to make it clear. We get so consumed to in the mm-hmm. Acts two thirty eight message that we miss the the rest. Yeah, of it, it's one verse. Yeah. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, there. What we there's three levels in, in the New Testament. There's a believer, a disciple, and a Christian. Um. And those are all levels. You're first a believer. And then we should immediately take believers right into discipleship, a whole new world. You know, there's one book of Acts, but from Romans to Jude, epistles, those are letters written to people that believed in the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. There's all these books, you know. And I'm sorry, so many times we skip that second that second step there. Discipleship. Yeah, we you, skip you, it. You know, mm-hmm. and, and they were not called Christians until they were believers and discipled, and then they were called Christians. So I, I believe that it, we need to emphasize discipleship. Here at the church, we need to emphasize discipleship as much as we do the new birth message. Who can disciple? We all should be disciple. We all should be doing that. All of it. The Bible says the younger or the older are to teach the younger. You know, We need to be a walking floor, mo- floor model uh, to anybody coming to the church of what? It is like to be a, a disciple. Sure, uh, I believe the pastor disciples. I believe uh, here at the church here we have um, a class called What's Next, and um, when they get the Holy Ghost, get baptized, we push them toward that What's Next class. What's next in this life? And so we go into discipleship, a whole new life. Um, recently, um, there was a lady that's been coming. She's tattooed from her head to her toe. Um, uh, jewelry. I don't know how she would ever get through an airport. Um, I, I mean, she is. You got, can't even take Chips Ahoy on planes. You know, <laughs> She's she, still bitter about getting his Chips Ahoy. <laughs> him. He, he, they, they pulled it out of my backpack. They started swabbing it. They ran it through the X-ray machine until it was twice baked. <laughs> uh, so you. tell me about this lady. Well, and uh, I've been there with you. Uh, <laughs> she's a, she's in what's next class. Okay, now um, the. The uh, instructor begins to talk about, you, you know, your, your body is now the temple. It's the dwelling place Amen. of the Holy Ghost, you know. Absolutely. He, he describes our church here. Um, we keep our grounds, the, the grass mode. We keep everything trying to look good uh, because this is where we meet to worship. And he talked about our bodies being the Holy Ghost. Well, it dawns on her. 
And while he's teaching, she is taking earrings out. She's taking uh, things out of her nose, out of her lips. Uh, as a matter of fact, she comes walking in because the, the, the What's Next class goes from 6.30 on Wednesday nights to 7.30. They come right from What's Next into service. She comes walking in, sits beside my wife, her ears bleeding because she's taking all these stuff out, you know. She's got a handful of metal in her hand. And uh, she, looks, she looks over at my wife and she says, I wish you all had told me earlier how this was an offense to God, you know. And, um, of course, my wife explained to her, we wanted you to, to get the Holy Ghost and to come in. That lady, probably in the morning, that woman will have... Ten people with her. Wow. She's she's the biggest soul winner we have right now. Wow, you know. I thank God for people that are offensive. Yeah, right. Right. Thank God for that. Yeah. Um, and I'm bold enough to believe what, say what you believe. Yeah, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw this out there. Um, thank God for people like that. While we've got people in the pews that's been living it for forty years that still struggle with it. Right. Right. I've often said. Um, uh, when 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 people say, well, are, are you, you, you preach something? Aren't you afraid of what sinners are going to think? You know, well, first off, uh, you're going to run them off. Well, where are we going to run them off to? Hell number two. I mean, is there? Is, and we're trying to run them into heaven. Yeah. But I've noticed this: that hard preaching offends more the church saints. members than it does. Re- uh, sinner people, they get it. They you know, they may not live it. But they'll stand at the back door and say, "Hey, preacher, you got guts, man. Thank you for, you, you know, you're right." And uh, that's that's so true. <laughs> that is so yeah, true. That's the nature of what we deal with. Yeah, especially if they know they're a sinner. Yeah. And if somebody thinks they're saved, it's hard sometimes when you convince them. Well, that's you may just, not be a saved. That's you so think. true. Yeah. That's where we live. We live in the Bible Belt. Where oh, everybody's yes. a Christian. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, the head of the funeral home um, here. He, he, he said he'd been working there for like 50 years. And he said, according to all the ministers that's preached in my funeral home, no one has went to hell from my funeral home. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> yeah, everybody. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. They must all be coming out of FAC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, so we kind of got a little sidetracked there. Oh, it's easy. Uh, so how did you become pastor here? Uh, this is this is home. This is home. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I just felt I had preached here. The church was um, um, three years old when I took it. You know, uh, and uh, I uh, just felt called to the area. Just felt that that this is where God wanted me. Had a little had a little experience uh, driving into town, and um, God laid this church on my heart and uh, called the pastor. And ask him if um, I could come work with him. Um, and but knowing to me, he was in the process of resigning the church. And so, um, at age twenty-three, I became the pastor of this church. Wow. wow! How many saints was in the church at that time? Probably about about thirty. Did you get all thirty votes? Um, no, no, <laughs> no. They were. There's but, always an idiot somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we had we had some older people that that and and they were kind, but they just said, you know, um, you know, we we've been in the church for years, and um, I couldn't feed them, you know. So you you took over a thirty member church um, because it was home. And you felt like God was calling you to that. Yes. 
it'd be very easy for Brian and us to say that God's called us to FAC now okay. because of what you've got going okay. on here. Okay, I see. So how did you get, how many members do you have now? Probably, um, um, now I count people that sure. just come to church, you yeah. know. Uh, probably a, a, an average Sunday will be uh, 600, a little bit more. So how did you get 570 people from where you were? <laughs> so that has to tell you that God laid something on your heart, you followed it, and it was mm, correct. Right. <clears throat> what does that do to you as a minister? That has to be something that you're very proud of. That has to be um, something that... Um, it's groundbreaking for this area. Mm-hmm. How many people's in Maryville? Uh, I believe there's thir- uh, Maryville, Alcoa, the Twin Cities, mm-hmm. uh, around thirty thousand. So you're, you've got this awesome church, um, and we're getting ready to get on another subject here that help. I'm sure help build your okay. church. But something like that at the age of twenty three, did you ever have to f- struggle with anything with people thinking we got this young guy here? Yeah, you know, and yeah. now look what it's become. Yeah. You, you know, brother, brother Tony. I, um, I think early on, uh, all I knew about having church was three things: pray before church, praise God when church starts, and preach the word. You know, I call it the three P's. You know, pray, praise, and preach. And we just make we just try to make every service count. Um, I think that's been that's been uh, like a like a philosophy of mine. Let's make every service count. There's there's not a service that you know. Oh, we're waiting for the big blowout on Sunday night. You know, um, make every service count. Home Bible studies to me. Um, I don't know how you could expect your church to grow and not not preach home Bible studies. Uh, that's just taking church to them. I've seen more people get the Holy Ghost um, in their living room. It works, you know. It just if you can get them to believe the word. And um, my wife, um, um, we did have, uh, we did have, you know, maybe on the the podcast today, I'll tell about some marital issues that we had. Uh, she would go with me to teach home Bible studies, and um, at first, you know, she would just sit there and listen, and then she began to, you know to talk about this scripture and that scripture and and honey you need to mention this and honey you need to mention that and um, finally I just said look we're going to have to have a split you know you're going to have to teach your own Bible studies all right either I'm going to teach these folks and so she went one direction teaching and I I still teach she teaches and um, it's just um, God has added um, also a part of our growth has been uh, FAC has been a place for apostolic people that have fallen to come and have a safe place, mm. you know, um, they may look perfect on the outside when they come in for the first time, but little the church congregation doesn't know that they may have come. So they're, they're trying to put their lives back together, and so it's become a place of healing uh, for families, for ministries, and um, wow, you know, I'm so thankful for a place that hurt Christians can go to. Yes, absolutely. Oh, so um, one of the words that, that stood out to me in that when you talked about how this has become a place uh, kind of a restoration of, of families and you said of ministries, do you, what is, um, and what, what that stood out to me is is a question of, of ministers that have fallen 
Um, what is the process? And of course, you know, we, we, when we hear, we tend to hear about restoration of people that have kind of lost out with God. We tend to think of it as the members of, of the churches. But I think everybody that's out there that's listening knows that they've seen preachers fall. They've seen evangelists, pastors. What is it like? What, what do you think it should be like a restoration process for like a fallen minister? You know, Brother brother Brian, um, I think the word restoration, we need to understand that they have to be re- uh, have restoration to be restored back to the relationship with Jesus Christ. They fail. They fail because they were not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe we miss that. Uh, a lot of men want to be, uh, a lot of men or women want to be restored back to a pulpit. Or they want their license back. When I believe they need to really work on getting their relationship back. Amen. And once they get that relationship back, they're much more pliable to understand. Now, you know, um, it's almost like um, navigating through a minefield. You know, I want to. I personally believe, and I know uh, today this podcast is going out. There may be those that that, that uh, may pass out when I say this. But I, I personally believe that a fallen minister can be restored back to a place of ministering the word. Um, and but I, I I don't think it's overnight. I do not believe it's overnight. Absolutely. And I believe that that man has to remain submitted to someone that he answers to, and uh, they can they can. That's even good. Um, that's good uh, advice for people who's not fallen. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we see a lot of people that they kind of like back, what we would call backslide in ministry. They would fall. They have some kind of issue. And then they go, uh, what we would consider in the apostolic movement, they go charismatic. And then after they've already fallen, now we beat up on them because now they, they're past, they're preaching somewhere, but they don't have any kind of standard or anything like that. And now we're criticizing them because they're just trying to justify their lifestyle. When When I feel like a lot of times... It's because we never give even that per- that minister now a message of hope that the blood works for you too, mm-hmm. just like it yes. does for yes. anybody. And and that's what I mean. I, I 100% agree with what you're saying that it is a process, mm-hmm. and, and and especially with somebody that has such a responsibility, you can't just throw them back out there. There has to be that time of of, of being submitted, but the blood has to still work. Yes. And and so why would we criticize somebody because? They're doing because the gift and calling of God is without repentance. They're doing the thing that's still in the burden of their heart, but we've not created a way in which they can minister the the full gospel anymore. And so now they're doing the only thing that seems to be out there. They see other people do Mm -hmm. um, because we don't have a restoration for them. Right. You know, Brother Brother Brian, I I preach a message entitled, entitled, How to Fix a Broken Wing. And it's actually... Uh, the process that a uh, if a bird breaks a wing, of course, flight is the only defense that a bird has. Uh, the predator, uh, a bird loses its ability to fly. To fly, uh, the predator soon comes in. Uh, but a bird that breaks a wing is not doomed to failure. There's a process that that wing can be healed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 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 uh, the veterinarian uh, talks about take the broken wing. Number one, it says it, number one, it says catch the bird. Uh, 
and be careful how you catch it because uh, you can actually cause the bird more harm by chasing it. So there's a process of how do we, when someone falls, okay, how do we initiate contact with them? It needs to be through wisdom because in the fallen minister's mind, he gets a phone call from someone, and the first thing the devil puts in his mind, they just want to know the dirt. They just want to know what happened. So somehow we've got to reach out. That is so true. You, you know, in, in a way that that builds trust, so we can get them back in. We can. Uh, I'm dealing with that right now. Okay, in a situation to to where I'm I'm wanting that man to know um, these hands are safe. And the, and the veterinarian says you catch the bird, you bring the bird to a safe place, and then you take the bird and you take the broken wing which hangs down low and you put it back in its natural position and you tape it to the other wing you you tape but it says it talks about not taping too tight to where you restrict the bird to be able to breathe all right because in the taping of the whole wing the healthy wing to the unhealthy wing the restoration begins. And it just goes through the process of how it can fly again. So um, I, I believe that there's just, a, I believe there is a process. I believe to the fallen minister today, today, I would say this, take your watch off, take the time off, replace your watch time with a compass, be more concerned about your direction than you are, am I going to be back in the pulpit next week or next month? Wow. You know. So what is the value of a ministerial organization that creates a mechanism where not only can there be uh, a restoration and wholeness, but just a general um, having somebody out there that is a brother, that mm-hmm. is a sister, that together we can work together to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ? God said when he created man, he said everything was good, except one thing. He said it is not good that man would be alone. I believe the value uh, of an organizational fellowship is that we're not alone. Um, It keeps us balanced. Woe woe be to a man that's alone um, in his doctrine. You know, you can you can get way out there when you're when you're the you know you need to really examine yourself when you're the only one that has a particular doctrine. It's good to get together. Iron sharpen of iron, you know. And uh, I believe that a ministerial organization keeps us balanced. Um, it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, by the indication of the scripture, uh, Eve was alone when uh, Satan tempted her. Uh, we know that Cain and Abel were alone in the field when uh, the murder happened. David was alone on the rooftop. Um, it just seems to me that being with someone else, um, ministerial organization, when somebody's having revival, it's something good to look up to and to uh, to to aspire to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when even someone's having some difficulties, it's good sometimes. To be encouraged that you're not the only one having difficulties, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, to have a brother to show mercy, to have men 
that would reach out to the fallen, show mercy is a, is a wonderful thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, even even though like you and I were we're both members of a different organization. We still have fellowship together because Absolutely. we are still a part of that brotherhood of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. That we still believe in the core doctrines, even yes. though we may be part of different organizations. Right. You have your group that you can have fellowship with. Then I have this group that I have fellowship with. And then we can both come together. Absolutely. In as believers, and I just I think yes. there's such value yes. in the community of of our organizations and the fellowship among the brethren. The, that crosses the organizational boundaries. Sure. You know, we need to be careful of belonging to anything that separates us. Um, I want to make new policies that unite all apostolic, Jesus' name, book of Acts, Bible-believing brethren. Right. Not anything that would separate us. We're stronger. Amen. We're better together. Absolutely. And, um, Army's stronger when it's fuller. That's right. That's right. Um Brian just said, alluded to a question about organization. Um, you are the general superintendent of your movement, yes. ALJC. How long have you been doing that? I'm uh, I'm actually in my fourth term. Uh, I um, I'm going into my seventh year. Seventh year. So I got to ask you, what is your most favorite thing about being general superintendent, mm-hmm. and what's your least favorite thing? My most favorite is to be able um, to inspire um, men and women from around the world, you know, with one message, uh, with one article, um, to see. I got a. Uh, I, I I preached Sunday night um, on uh, breaking the uh, maintaining spirit and going from a. a a farmer to a fighter. They, they, uh, they. The Philistines only allowed them to have uh, plowshares, and uh, so they needed to go from being a farmer to being a fighter. And after church, a uh, precious man in Chile uh, showed me on his internet where he had watched the message, you know, and how that in, excited him in Chile, you yeah. know. And so I think being able to impact. Uh, the world is 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 exciting to me, you know. Uh, to preach together, to gather together, um, our executive board and our general board, and to know that that you're you're speaking globally, you, you know. When you pour into them, you're speaking globally. This this thing is going to hit the world. That would be the most rewarding thing. Probably the heartbreak of all heartbreaks is um, when men and women get contentious. You know, I hate contentious, you know, contention. Um, and and that's because contention, it never breeds anything good, you know. Um, it amazes me sometimes in our movement um, how we can have men that are tolerant of uh, men that are... Um, that believe the same thing they believe. And they can even be tolerant of men that have a higher standard. This isn't amazing. We, we can't be very tolerant with those that may have a, a, a lower or a less standard than we have. You know, it seems and like... Also, if you don't believe what I believe, yeah, it's, can't be Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, uh, that's disappointing to me. 
that we can't be big enough to know who we are, to be able to go somewhere and preach for someone that, you know, possibly you would not have them preach for you mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, but you, you ought to be able to go there and hear them and, or go there and minister to them or, or be with it as a part of a fellowship. We have to understand, and this is the heartbreak, we have to understand that, that not everybody's going to cross all the T's that you cross and dot all the I's because everything is not addressed in our Constitution. Right. And um, so but that would be the... Fighting for the common purpose. Yes, that's it. Yeah, it's just, it, you know, it, and that goes all the way back. They had the same problem in the Book of Acts. You had the Judaizers that were going around that were trying to to impose stricter standards among the the the, the followers of Christ uh, because they've always lived it this way. Mm-hmm. And I almost wonder sometimes when people um, look at a brother that that sees that the Bible allows more Christian liberty that it's almost a, a form of jealousy and mm-hmm. that they didn't get the opportunity when they grew up to have that kind of freedom. Mm-hmm. And because, bless God, I don't have the freedom to do it. My pastor won't let me do this or mm-hmm. or whatever reason, and they want to impose it on other people just because that's the way they were taught, and so mm-hmm. that's the way it has to be. And and I don't think that's necessarily the way things mm-hmm. should be. Yeah. Very so, good. We um, were talking a little bit while we were on a pause um, about some things that you've got going on. Um, you're you're a local celebrity. Oh, come on now! <laughs> uh, you, how did you get your church on local TV? Um, well, um, we had um, there was a um, uh, a denominational preacher here in town that um, was on TV. And so I, I began to talk to him, and uh, he he introduced me uh, to a uh, gentleman uh, that sold uh, refurbished uh, cameras and TV equipment, uh, um, an Arab. And um, I met him, and of course I was just, I had no idea of going on television immediately. So he comes out to our church, and he begins to say, I'm putting a camera here, I'm going to put a camera there, I'm going to put the switching board here, and he begins to tell all these different things. Um, and, and it's like, you know, like, it's blowing my mind. I'm, I'm so, Well, uh, his, his name is uh, Mr. Harb. I said, well, Mr. Harb, um, you know, give me a price. This is something one day we, you know, because the... Being on television, it's not necessarily the price of the airtime; it's being able to produce it. Yeah. Okay. Properly. That, right. Yeah. Yes. Properly. That's a that is a key word there. Um, and so um, he starts telling me about all this equipment and um, how he wants to come and train our men. He said, "You know, you give me your men that you think I can train." And so I'm stopping him. I said, "Well, that's just something." you know, one day we're going to get into. And he said, what are you waiting on? I said, well, I said, well finances. He said, did I mention anything about money? I said, well, how much is this going to cost? And uh, he said, don't worry about it. I said, no, nah, I don't do business that way. I said, uh, how much? And he told me, and he said, but don't worry about paying me for, I think, a year. Okay. So he came in, set all this equipment up overnight, um, lighting, um, trained our men, and we produced our very first um, half-hour program called the Apostolic Connection. 
uh, we went and bought um, time on a, a local TV station. And I, I gave I gave the man, uh, the manager of the station, the the uh, the tape. And I said, now we're new at this. I said, before you put it on the air, would you look at it? Would you make sure everything is you, you know it's make sure everything the volumes are set, the lighting and everything. And he he took it back and he watched it for a few minutes, and he brought it back out. And he said, uh, who produced this? And I said, well, my son-in-law did. He said, uh, would your son-in-law like a job? I said, doing what? He said, uh, producing uh, programs. He said, uh, this is as professional as I've ever seen. So anyway, we went on, uh, we went on TV um, here in the area. I, I used a little method where um, um, I, I kind of do um, a generic series maybe on the Beatitudes, you know, or faith, you know, something that whether you're Baptist or Presbyterian, we all agree with it, you know. And, and, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll build up my listening audience, you know, uh, get a lot of people listening to the Beatitudes, a lot of people listening to uh, He's with us in our suffering. Then I'll hit them with a series of one God Shameless. or baptism in <laughs> Jesus' name, you know. And uh, you build it up, and then, then you get your audience, and then you... Uh, we've baptized a lot of people, um, uh, have, have a lot of people. We don't do the light lights, action, camera. Um, we, don't, we don't edit necessarily our... our uh, we take 30 minutes of, a, of an apostolic service, and, and that's what we put on the air, because we want the viewing audience to know when you come here... This is what you're going to see. That's you, awesome. you know, you're going to see apostolic That's awesome. uh, at its best. So, with that, being able to through that media, being able to connect with your community, how had it? How has it benefited your church? Like, um, what kind of growth? I, I, I guess that's the best way to kind of look at it. Is what kind of growth have you had, or even outside of growing numbers? But what have you? What has it done in your church that to get you to where you are now? I, I think as far as benefit, let me. I, I'd like to maybe before I address that, Brian. Um, we have the most unusual. Um, I, I am uh, one of the most unusual uh, televangelists that are out. And that is, we have never asked for, ask for money. All right. Wow. This yeah. program, we come in, we, we, we go off the air by saying this program is a gift brought to you by the apostolic people in your local community, you know. So I think that sets us apart. Um, what it's done to our church, um, it's caused our church to realize uh, the power of them being a church. Uh, our choir sings every Sunday morning and Sunday night. Um, it 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 it's it gives them a sense of we're reaching our community. To the community, um, it helps them understand. Hey, they're not a bunch of snake handling, hmm. out of order uh, people. Look, they've got this thing together. Uh, may not agree with their doctrine. May not understand their doctrine, but. Did you see the building they built? I may not understand they speak in tongues, but uh, did you see the program they put on? So it's really helped the community to understand who we are. Absolutely. You know. So I want to ask the flip side of the play devil's advocate okay. here. Um, you're apostolic. Yes. Did you get some criticism by going on TV? Um, yes, yes. How did you overcome that? Kind of you, you know, um, uh, an old... Um, 
uh, Arab proverb is the car goes by and the dog barks. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times critics always bark at what, what's moving, you know. And um, Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Sometimes the, the, the critics, you know, they're there. Um, it's just, it just it, it is what it is, you know. And, and uh, um, they, were, they were those that um, felt like that we would, uh, we would go charismatic and all that. But we, we, proved, we proved them wrong. Um, when, when it's funny because um, that seems to be kind of the idea sometimes. Whenever you really are doing different things, things that are kind of out of the norm, the mm-hmm. tradition, because mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the context of where we're in, uh, we were from, is mm-hmm. for years that was that was a no no, mm-hmm. and and anytime television was a no no, it was a, it was yeah, it, being able to advertise on it, watch it, anything like that was was absolutely. Um, it was against the fundamental beliefs of, of, of the organization we were, we were a part of. And, and sometimes um, you see when, when men try to do something, or I'll just say it like this, whenever leaders try and do something new, there's that constant suspicion of, well, where are they heading with this? Just because, I mean, we're, we're you know, times have developed, times have changed, and, and I think it's important that we, we – we don't get behind the times, mm-hmm. uh, but we change with it. Mm-hmm. But we we not that we compromise, but we adapt Amen. so that way we may overcome. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes when like for instance, you could of course we didn't, haven't really had any negative feedback with like podcasting and stuff like that. But podcasting is a new kind of medium. There's all sure. kinds of new mediums that are out there, and and there's so many different ways that that a church can reach their community now, and and we can reach people around the world. Um, and, but like I said, sometimes you see that air of suspicion whenever mm-hmm. people try and do something new because it's they think you know, it's for it's an alternative motive. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know that's uh, that's brother Brian. That's so true. You know, Jesus said uh, that the children of this generation, talking about sinners, were wiser than the children of light, and um, you know, advertisement um, saturation. Uh, the more you advertise, the more you saturate your community. Um, I just uh, Paul Paul was on Mar- Mars Hill. Mars Hill was the spot of every false temple, but he he went right among them and um, said, "The unknown God, I uh, make him known." And um, mm-hmm. so, right in the middle of uh, in between denominal preachers and. Here we come, ap- the apostolic connection. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So your church has grown tremendously. You've got a wonderful facility. I have, to, ask, I have to ask this question, though. With, with being a, a church that I'm sure has in all these guests that come in on, our, on, on a Sunday, what is your church's security plan? Because we, we look at the, the last couple of weeks, yes. there's been videos that have come out of Texas of a, of a gunman that had came into a church and, and attempted to open fire in that congregation. And, and unfortunately, two people's lives were lost, but there were people there that were ready to act in that situation. And as an organizational leader and as a pastor, what is the responsibility that you feel about making sure that the people that come into your facility to worship are as safe as they can be? Well, uh, Brian... Jesus said, be as wise as a serpent 
and as harmless as as a dove. We have developed our own security department here. Uh, we have uh, called in for professional training um, on Saturdays uh, during the during the month. They're over here looking at every uh, scenario of what could happen. Um, we have uh, men that are stationed all around the the buildings. We're about to put in. Um, uh, next week, exactly Monday, they'll be installing uh, 60 cameras uh, around the building where a uh, security team will be able to sit in an office and know when a car pulls on our parking lot, uh, know, uh, knows when someone's coming up to the door. Uh, being ready, uh, be professional, uh, get some outside help. There's a lot of good department, a lot of good training for that now. Uh, it's just as needful as a ushering staff. Amen. Uh, and knowing how um, the, the training is not just if a shooter comes in, but a training is knowing how um, maybe not to stereotype everybody. Everybody that comes in um, is not a shooter. You Everybody's know. not out to uh, You know, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it is very, if I could say anything on your podcast today, uh, regardless of the size of your church you need to have a security team make it safe there well we're about to wrap up bishop we thank you so much for your time oh thank you Um, i've got one question i definitely want to ask then we usually wrap it up a couple of ways here we'll get into but the last question i want to ask you is what do you hope people take away from your ministry and specifically what would you like our listeners to know about you um I want to be known as an apostolic preacher. Um, I want um, them to know that um, the faith once delivered to the saints that we're still embracing, um, we're still embracing that same that same message that was given. That it is possible to be progressive and yet hold on to the old foundations. That you can be cutting edge, but still keep keep uh, the message, and so that's that's what I would like to be remembered by. He was Absolutely. apostolic. What are some books that you would recommend uh, to people that are interested in either leadership, personal growth, uh, encouragement, um, to just have a better walk with God? Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any books that have, has kind of helped shape the way that you think whenever you um, see yourself? You know, I think when it comes to books on leadership, I think a good balance. Uh, John Maxwell, of course, is is a, a heavy hitter. Um, my thing about recommending books is is to stay balanced. Um, don't don't become so far with John Maxwell that... that um, you forget other other important areas. I have one book. Uh, I, I, what I'm saying, I have an author right now uh, that uh, has really kept me uh, tethered to him. It, it, his name is Watchman Nee, and he wrote a lot of things around um, probably uh, 1920s, and a lot of books on prayer um, that Watchman Nee has written. So that, I would recommend. Anything by Watchman Nee. Okay. Our last segment we'll do before we wrap it up here is we want you to give 
us a final word, something God's been burdened you with, uh, something that uh, God may have placed you for 2020, something that we might have missed, anything the floor is yours for the next 30 seconds. Go after. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Tony. Uh, what I have been praying, we're, it's, it's January. Um, every January we have 31 days of prayer. Every night our church is open from um, 7 to 8 p.m. for prayer. And what what I believe is going to happen in 2020 is that God wants to take us to uh, a new level of vision. Uh, and my prayer last night is God help me to be able to identify the hungry. Help me to be able to see the hungry. The hungry is not always coming in with tears streaming down their face. They're not, they're not always visibly moved. God help me to identify the hungry. Um, I am believing that God is going to give us a move of God in this city among uh, good-hearted people that are full. I call it this. They are full of sincerity, but they are not full of truth. And I want God to help me to reach those people that are full of sincerity, but not full of truth. Amen. Well, from Brian and Tony, this has been The Crucial Conversation.